listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our scripture reading today is Daniel, verses 1 through 19. It's largely a prayer for repentance and restoration. In the first year of Darius, son of Ahasuerus, by birth a Mede, who became king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to the prophet Jeremiah, must be fulfilled for the devastation of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned to the Lord God to seek an answer by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, Ah, Lord, great and awesome God, keeping covenant and steadfast love with those who you love and keep your commandments. We have sinned and done wrong, acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. Righteousness is on your side, O Lord, but open shame, as at this day, falls on us, the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, and all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. Open shame, O Lord, falls on us, our kings, our officials, and our ancestors, because we have sinned against you. To the God our Lord belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by following his laws, which he set before us by his servants and the prophets. All all Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. So the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against you. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers, by bringing upon us a calamity so great that what has been done against Jerusalem was never before seen or done under the whole heaven. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us. We did not entreat the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and reflecting on his fidelity. So the Lord kept watch over this calamity until he brought it upon us. Indeed, the Lord our God is right in all that he has done, for we have disobeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made your name renowned even to this day, we have sinned and done wickedly. O Lord, in view of all your righteous acts, Let your anger and wrath, we pray, turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because of our sins and iniquities of our ancestors, 
Jerusalem and your people have become a disgrace among all our neighbors. Now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and his supplication. For your own sake, Lord, let your face shine upon your desolated sanctuary. Incline your ear, O my God, and hear. Open your eyes and look at our desolation and the city that bears your name. We do not present our supplication before you on the ground of our righteousness, but on the ground of your great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act and do not delay. For your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people bear your name. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. And thanks for that reading, Kathy. I know that was a long scripture reading, um, this prayer from Daniel, but I really uh, wanted to hear that read in its entirety because it is a powerful prayer that we're going to be talking about today. So thank you, Kathy, again. Before we get started, though, just a heads up for everyone. Um, On May 23rd, we're going to be doing something a little different in our teaching time. It's in about a month. Um, instead of a traditional sermon that week where I stand up here and talk, talk, talk for 25 minutes, um, we're going to have a Q&A during the service, um, answering your questions about this series we're doing on the book of Daniel. And if you've been here for the last few weeks, you probably have some questions, right? Like, this is a weird section of the Bible. Um, we've done this in the past. It's been a while. But we've done this where we'll take a week after a sermon series and do like a Q&A in the service. We've also done sermon talkbacks after the service, but that's been kind of tricky to navigate in these COVID times. So if you look in your bulletin, and I talked about these at the beginning of the service, you've got this yellow card. This is a great way to turn in any questions you have about the sermons. Could be today's, could be next week's, a previous one. Just write it on here, and you can drop the card right in one of the joy boxes uh, out in the hallway, and we'll put those all together and answer them, uh, or try to answer them, on the 23rd. Um, And for folks who are watching online, if you go to the online worship page of our website, there's a box right there where you can type your question in and email it to the church. So we're working through the book of Daniel, uh, and for the last few weeks we've been working through this section in the latter half of the book, with all of these really trippy dreams and visions. We've called this Daniel the Weird Stuff, which I think is an apt title for this section. We've covered visions of beasts and unicorns and a bunch of other things that you had no idea were in the Bible. But this passage is a little bit different. Daniel 9, there's a vision in this chapter. We'll get to that. We didn't make it there in the reading. But the passage Kathy just read for us is a prayer. It's a prayer of repentance from Daniel, this Jewish refugee living in exile and longing to go home. We've talked about Daniel the last few weeks. We've talked a lot about uh, the exile and how Daniel and his people were refugees in Babylon. But I realized when I was preparing this sermon that we haven't talked much about why the exile happened. So I think we should probably cover that. Like, why did the exile happen in the first place? Why would God allow the Babylonians to invade Jerusalem and destroy the temple? That seems like an odd thing for God to do. But it has to do with this passage and this prayer, so let's talk about that. Let's do a little Old Testament uh, 101, if we could. If you've read the Old Testament, if you're familiar with it, it tells the story of a guy named Abraham. There he is, there's Abraham. 
God chooses Abraham. I don't know if he looked like that. That was an, that was an artist's representation. God chooses Abraham out of all the families in the world, and God promises to bless Abraham with descendants. God's going to give children to Abraham, and that family, Abraham's family, is what God is going to use to rescue the world. So when Abraham was 100 years old, he had a son named Isaac, then Isaac had a son named Jacob, and then Jacob had 12 sons, the 12 sons of Jacob. Are we following the family tree so far? Good, I see some nodding. Excellent. This is pretty much the book of Genesis, by the way, if you've read Genesis. It's basically Adam and Eve, Noah's Ark, and then 40 chapters of this. This is the book of Genesis in a nutshell. But Jacob's 12 sons grow into a nation. They become the 12 tribes of Israel. And then after a few generations, they end up enslaved in Egypt. That's where we get the Moses story from the Bible, the Ten Commandments, where God raises up Moses um, to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. And eventually, after about 40 years of wandering through the wilderness, the Israelites finally land in the promised land. Are we following along with the storyline so far? Good. Do the pictures help? Yay, awesome. I can tell no one's looking at me. You're all looking at the screens, which is perfect. So the Israelites settle in the promised land. They establish a kingdom for themselves. They build a temple. But it's pretty much a mess from the get-go, right? Like, this is all the gory, bloody, violent stuff from the Old Testament that we just love to read. The Israelites are constantly turning to other gods. They make a golden calf, and they bow down to it. They build up their military strength, and they start waging war against their neighbors, right? They abuse the land. They exploit the poor. It's really a mess, really bad news. God lets all this continue for about 500 years that the Israelites live in the land until finally God has enough, and so God allows the Babylonians to storm in, conquer Jerusalem, destroy the temple, and carry the people off into exile. That's the story. That's the elevator pitch version of the Old Testament, basically. That's the, that's the explanation we're given for why the exile happened. And that brings us to this Jewish refugee named Daniel. Daniel lived during the exile. He endured that. He was part of the first batch of Israelites who were carried off to Babylon as refugees. And he was young when it happened. He was in like his late teens, maybe 20 at the time. And unlike most of the other heroes we find in the Bible, Daniel's actually a pretty good guy. Like, I don't know if you've read much scripture, but most of the heroes we talk about in the Bible are pretty terrible people. Like, even folks like David, Solomon, even Abraham, most of them are kind of awful. They screw up, they sin, they exploit people, they lie, they cheat, they murder. They're not great guys. But Daniel's different. Daniel's actually a good guy. This is actually how I got my name, by the way, believe it or not. My mom really wanted to name me after a character from the Bible. Problem is, she had actually read the Bible, so she knew they were all terrible people. So my mom searched and searched through the Bible for someone, some character who wasn't awful, and she came up with Daniel and Jesus. And thank God she didn't name me Jesus. <laughs> Seriously, I don't... I don't need that to measure up to. But Daniel's a good guy, right? Like, we, we worked through Daniel's story in the beginning of the year, the first half of the book of Daniel. Daniel stayed faithful, 
in like unimaginable circumstances. He didn't turn to other gods. He didn't bow down to the king. In spite of having his life threatened multiple times, Daniel stayed faithful. He's a good guy. So put yourself in Daniel's shoes for just a minute. You've done everything right. You followed the law. You followed the commandments. You did everything you were supposed to. You stayed faithful through the worst circumstances, but you still lost everything. The world has gone to hell. And here you are suffering because of the sins of your ancestors. Pause for a moment. How would that make you feel? Angry? It's a good one. A lot of people nodding at angry. Other emotions you might feel at this? Betrayed? Guilty? Upset? It wouldn't feel very good, would it? No. I just want to help us get in the mindset of Daniel as we approach this prayer. I want to help us kind of understand what he's been through. Because this prayer, Daniel's prayer, if we try to date this, it was written sometime after Babylon fell to Persia. So, like, that happened in 539. So we're somewhere after that in the dating. And Daniel, we're told all the way back in Daniel chapter 1, Daniel was exiled during the third year of King Jehoiakim. Now, you don't have to know who that is. You don't have to know anything about that. But historians do. And we know that the third year of King Jehoiakim was 605 B.C. Who's really good at math? 66. Daniel's been in exile for at least 66 years at this point. If he was in his late teens when he was carried off to Babylon, he's in his 80s now, probably his late 80s. He spent the better part of his lifetime, the better part of most of our lifetimes, in exile, and he's getting a little antsy. When are we going to go home? When's the exile going to be over? When is all this going to end? These are the questions Daniel's wrestling with as he prays. And before he prays, he opens up his Bible. He opens to the book of Jeremiah, same Jeremiah that we have in our Bibles, by the way. And he starts looking for answers, and he finds one. Jeremiah, just a heads up, was a prophet. I think we have a picture of him looking really angry. There's Jeremiah. <laughs> Jeremiah lived during the exile. He's like maybe a generation before Daniel. And he was one of the only ones who saw the exile coming. When everyone else in Jerusalem was like, things are great... God would never let anything bad happen to us. Jeremiah was like, are you kidding me? Look at how we're treating the poor. Look at how we're treating the land. Look at our violence. God is coming, and God is going to shut this down. That was Jeremiah. So Daniel goes to Jeremiah's writings, and we're not told exactly what part of, of Jeremiah he's reading, but he figures out the exile is going to last 70 years, which means he's probably reading Jeremiah chapter 25. You can turn to that in your pew Bible. We'll also have it up here. But let's look at that together, starting in verse 8 of Jeremiah 25. <clears throat> Thus says the Lord of hosts. Oh, and by the way, Jeremiah is intense, so get ready. <laughs> Thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not obeyed my words, I am going to send for all the tribes of the north, says the Lord, even for King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, my servant. 
And I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against these nations around. I will utterly destroy them and make them an object of horror and of hissing and an everlasting disgrace. This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. It's going to be a lot of fun when we preach through Jeremiah. That'll be, that'll be uplifting. But quiz, how long is the exile supposed to last? 70 years. And Daniel's been living in exile for how long? At least 66 years. And Babylon just fell to Persia. Which means this should be it. The exile should be ending. Like Daniel's an old man at this point, but he might actually get to go home. He might get to see Jerusalem again. And so he prays. And I want to reread uh, the first section of this prayer because this is powerful stuff. This is really moving. Um, we'll put it on this, the screen. Daniel 9, beginning in verse 3. <clears throat> this is after he's read Jeremiah. I turned to the Lord God to seek an answer by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made a confession, saying, Ah, Lord, Great and awesome God, keeping covenant and steadfast love with those who love you and keep your commandments. We have sinned and done wrong, acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. Righteousness is on your side, Lord, which is a, a fancy way of saying, God, you're in the right here. But open shame falls on us, the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those who are near, those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. Open shame, O Lord, falls on us our kings, our officials, and our ancestors, because we have sinned against you. It's a powerful prayer, right? Like, you can feel the emotion. You can feel the contrition here. But it's really interesting that this prayer is coming from Daniel, because Daniel didn't do any of this, right? Like, he was a kid when all this happened. Daniel didn't rebel and turn away from God's commands. He's followed God's commands to the letter. Daniel didn't ignore the prophets. He wasn't even alive when most of the prophets were doing their thing. He's reading the prophet Jeremiah right now. Daniel is confessing the sins of his ancestors, the sins of his people, sins that he didn't commit that were carried out before he was born with repercussions he's had to live with for 66 years. That's pretty different from how most of us have been taught to think about repentance, I think. Repentance is a pretty core idea of Christianity. Maybe you've heard of it, <laughs> um, right? But like, when we become Christians, when we, when we talk about our faith, the first step normally is that you repent. You confess your sins, and then you turn from them. That's what repentance means, to turn, and you follow Jesus. But we don't repent for our parents' sins, right? 
We don't repent for the sins of our ancestors, not in this culture. Our ancestors are dead. I'm my own person. I'm not responsible for sins of the past, for what my parents did. I am my own unique, special snowflake, right? I've got, I've got participation trophies that prove it. This is how we've been taught to think about sin, confession, and repentance on a very individual level. It's about me and my sins, my relationship with God. But when the Bible talks about sin and repentance, it often does so on a communal level, a corporate level, a multi-generational level. We have tons of examples in the Bible of individuals who come forward and confess the sins of their communities. Moses did it, Jeremiah did it, Daniel does it. He enters into that tradition to confess the sins of his ancestors. Because apparently, sin can be communal. Sin can be structural. The sins of one generation can echo forward through future generations. We can get trapped reliving the sins of the past, repeating the same destructive patterns and habits as our parents and their parents and their parents. You don't even have to be guilty yourself to bear responsibility for corporate sins. I don't know about you, but this hits really close to home for me in light of everything that's been going on in our world forever, really, but especially lately. I know I'm young, relatively, uh, but I swear I'm feeling more and more like a cranky old man every day, like inside. It could be maybe an effect of having kids, I don't know. But sometimes, if I'm like perfectly honest, sometimes it really does feel like this world of ours has gone to hell. I worry about what we're doing to the planet and whether or not my kids are gonna have clean air when they're 80. I worry about guns and some messed up kid or a disgruntled parent taking a rifle into my kid's school. I worry about my friends of color and how we've chosen to police ourselves as a society. I worry about a friend of mine out in Los Angeles who's a single mom and she's black, and I know that every year she worries a little bit more about her son because she knows that every year he gets older, he is more of a threat in the eyes of people who look like me. I worry about the church a lot, especially after January 6th, when people holding Jesus saves signs stormed the Capitol, killed a police officer, chanting, hang Mike Pence, right? That's not the church I know. That's not the church most of us know. We are trapped in cycles of corporate generational sin that make our world hard to recognize sometimes. And the Bible actually has a word for that. Exile. That's called exile. When you no longer recognize the world that you're living in, you are in exile. 
and we are going through a sort of exile in the church, in our culture. We are suffering through repercussions of sins that go back generations bigger than any one of us. Sins like racism, violence, nationalism, sins against the poor. But we're so individualistic as like a church and a society that we bristle against the idea of communal sins. It makes us uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable. How many times have you heard someone say like, I'm not racist, right? I didn't own slaves. I don't remember Jim Crow. I've said stuff like this. But the Bible really couldn't be clearer on this. Yes, there are individual sins. If you're not a racist, that is great. Good job. But there are also communal sins. There are corporate sins. And sometimes, sometimes it's appropriate or even necessary to repent for sins of our ancestors. All this, like, really heavy stuff, and we haven't even gotten to the vision yet, right? We haven't even gotten to the messianic math, the really weird section of this chapter. Do you guys mind if we talk about the vision, if we take, like, five minutes to talk? Things are going to get weird. This is a really weird part. Jim emailed me earlier this week and was like, what the heck's going on at the end of Daniel 9? Can we talk about this briefly? I promise it's going to circle back to what we've already been talking about. I'm seeing enough nods that we're going to go for it. You don't really have a choice, so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right. So after Daniel prays, he has a vision. The angel Gabriel shows up, and he gives him an answer to his prayer, but it's not the answer Daniel was hoping for. Remember, Daniel wants to go home. He wants the exile to be over. It's been 70 years, just like Jeremiah said. Babylon has fallen. And here's what happens next. Verse 20, it'll be on your screen, <clears throat> Daniel 9. While I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sins of my people Israel, Gabriel came and said to me, Daniel, I have now come out to give you wisdom and understanding. At the beginning of your supplications, a word went out, and I have come to declare it, for you are greatly beloved. So consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are decreed for your people and your holy city. To finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity. To bring an everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and prophet, and to anoint a most holy place. Seventy weeks are decreed for you and your people. What does that mean? The wording here is a bit confusing. It's like a tiny bit clearer in the Hebrew. But Gabriel's talking about weeks of years. Seventy weeks of years. You thought the exile was going to be 70 years. But it's actually going to be 70 times 7 years. Now let's talk about this phrase 70 times 7. So we got to understand this. This isn't as clear to us as it would have been to the people who first read this. 70 times 7 is an old Hebrew idiom. It's kind of like a way of talking about forever. 
We do this with like a million right now. When you say a million, you usually haven't counted. It's like you've been, like when my daughter is like, Dad, I've been waiting a million years. She means she's been waiting forever, right? We do it with a million. In Hebrew, you do it with 70 times 7. There's a story in the Gospels where Peter goes up to Jesus and he's like, Hey, if someone sins against me and I forgive them and then they do it again, how many times do I have to forgive them? Is 7 enough? And Jesus says, what does Jesus say? 70 times 7. Right, you guys know this story. Jesus is not saying that you keep track and when you get to 491, right, it's like, sorry, no more forgiveness. No, Jesus is saying you always offer forgiveness 70 times 7. So when the angel Gabriel tells Daniel that the exile is going to last 70 times 7 years, he's saying, I'm sorry, my friend, but you are never going home. Yeah. The world is never going to be what you hoped it would be. This is a gut punch, this chapter. If you ask most Jewish folks today, most rabbis, I think they'd probably say that they're still in exile. The temple's still gone. It was rebuilt for a bit, but then the Romans destroyed it. The exile has never really ended. But then Christians have to go and make everything about Jesus, you know? We always do that. It's the worst. No, it's not. This is all taking place right around the year 500, right? That's kind of the dating here. So 70 times 7, 490 years, that gets you pretty close to Jesus. So for years, Christians have been trying to play with the numbers here to get this to add up to Jesus somehow. And it's kind of tricky. It's hard to pull off. The first question is, where would you even start counting from? Like, when does the exile officially begin? There's a lot of options. I listed, like, some of them here. But do you start when the first exiles were taken away, when Daniel was driven out of the land? That's 605 B.C. Do you start when the temple was destroyed in 587, or when it was rebuilt in 515? When do you even start counting? There's too many options. You can't make this work out and point to Jesus in any kind of definitive way. But there's one interesting theory, one interpretation I want to highlight. If you keep going in Daniel 9, the angel Gabriel goes into this really confusing discourse where he starts breaking up these 70 weeks of years into chunks. It's hard to follow. It's almost impossible to translate into English well. But Gabriel mentions in all that that the 70 weeks of years will start once Jerusalem is restored. And then the exile will come to to an end, I think this is in verse 26, around the time that an anointed one is cut off in Jerusalem. Does anyone know the Hebrew word for anointed one? No Hebrew scholars here? It's Messiah. Messiah means anointed one. Now, The math gets fuzzy, right? We don't exactly know where we should start this. When was Jerusalem technically restored? But one interpretation would look to the book of Ezra, which is when a priest named Ezra was sent to Jerusalem to restore proper worship in the temple. We're told that that happens in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes of Persia. He's a historical person. We can date that. That's five, oh, sorry, 457 B.C. Now, the people who are quick at math 
have it. <laughs> no. But what happens if you jump ahead 490 years from 457 BC? That puts you in the year 33 AD, 33 CE, the year that Jesus was most likely crucified. An anointed one, a Messiah, killed in Jerusalem to mark the end of exile. Jesus came as the sinless one. Much like Daniel, he laid it all down for the sins of his people. Jesus laid down his life for the collective sins of his generation, past generations, all subsequent generations, calling everyone to repentance. Are we stuck in exile forever? Are we doomed to just repeat the sins of the past over and over and over again? Or is there hope? Is there a way forward for the world? Is there a way to chart a new path? The Bible doesn't give us a clean answer in Daniel 9. Please understand that. The math here doesn't work out. You have to start counting from the right place to get to the place that Christians want to go. But the Bible doesn't give us a clear answer here. Instead, it leaves us with the question which maybe means that the answer is up to us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for biblical examples like Daniel and Jesus and so many others, Lord, who took responsibility and confessed the sins of their people. God, we know that we are nowhere near as innocent as Daniel. And we're certainly not sinless like Jesus. We know that we are trapped in cycles of sin and violence that go back centuries. But God, help us to repent. Help us to turn not only from our own sins, but from the sins of our communities, our world, and even our parents. Don't let the exile last forever, Lord, but help us chart a new path. Lead us back home. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist on Twitter at BrockportFB and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.